0: Everyone and welcome to the Geek Grant episode 320 to NAS or not to NAS. That is the question. Whether nobler in the mind to suffer the missing files and corrupted data of outrageous files or to take up hard drives against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Recorded March 3rd, 2018 and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element dot com welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the drive time radio for geeks i am your host mark the sultan of the soapbox cockerel and joining me this this week as always are your two stalwart co-hosts seth the poet man anderson and miles the ossigener
1: wake hello gentlemen
2: hey mark and welcome back to our faithful element opiates slash shakespeare lovers
1: yeah and just for those that don't realize it seth you coined that that lovely poem did you not
2: you know, this is a case of uh, free use because, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you know, for those who don't recognize, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is nobler, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you know, since Mark did to Nass or not to NAS, I would just extend it a little. Dost thou a pirate? <laughs> no, no, free use yeah. or fair use. Is,
0: it is well past the uh, uh, public domain by about 400 years. So I think we're okay. Um, And that was a cold reading by yours truly The Sultan of the Soapbox Um, And I think it worked out pretty well Um, Good job so, I had uh, th- this is Palm Sunday. Uh, for those of you uh, uh, who are uh, of the Christian faith, you will recognize that as the, the Sunday uh, of the triumphal entry, the Sunday before uh, uh, Easter. And uh, we had a traditional Jewish Seder at my Southern Baptist church uh, tonight. Um, and of course, because it was a Southern Baptist church, uh, the wine was, re- was replaced by Welch's grape juice. I'm not a wine drinker, I'm not an alcohol drinker, I don't enjoy alcohol in general, and after tonight, I'm, I've, I've t- determined I don't like grape juice either. There was like five times throughout the thing where we had to take the ceremonial drinks, and each time I was like, oh, this stuff is gross. So I think now I understand why I don't like wine. It's because I don't like
1: what wine is made from. I don't like grape juice. So there you go. I don't know too many people who do like wine. Even wine buffs not necessarily like wine. It's, there's something about wine that has nothing to do with the wine itself. Because I grew up in a city that has wineries around it, and it was, I don't know too many of my friends that drank wine, but we all thought of ourselves as wine connoisseurs. Go figure. So what
2: you're saying then is that the snobbery of the wine... um Halts is just um that kind of passive aggressive rage it's like i don't like this stuff so therefore i'm taking it out on you so
0: what's the same as coffee even the greatest coffee snobs in the world will tell you coffee tastes kind of nasty um but and still you're somehow compelled to drink it yeah
1: it's if you don't drink the right kind of coffee or you drink the right kind of wine it defines your social position in some areas which is kind of weird but, I mean, having said that, I don't mind a glass of, you know, red with some Italian food or something. I mean, it's great, but.
0: Maybe I, there's I mean, a strange kind right of, of of chemistry that happens between wine and Italian food. One might even call it alchemy.
2: Yes, um, I, uh, you know, I am just doing all I can to get my benefit of my $10 a month I give to Amazon. And so the book, one of the books I read over the last week was called The Last Alchemist by Eric I'm going with... Hamry H-A-M-R-E. He is a, um, he's a fiction writer. And again, I'm trying to kind of get away from the zombie apocalypse stuff because I found out I really like those. So this is a little bit from Goodreads. Uh, David, a broken, depressed MBA student, is giving a secret assignment by his university professor. Forty years earlier in the 1970s, one of the world's richest men vanished from the face of the earth. The billionaire had just completed a lecture series called The Principles of Wealth at Oxford University. The question is... Did he share something he shouldn't have shared in that last lecture? And what really happened the day he disappeared? And that is the premise behind this book. Kind of an enjoyable read. Some of the early things the author did didn't tie in until the very end. Um, you know, it was almost like, hey, I need an extra 10 pages. I'll give you five at the beginning and five at the end that don't tie into the book. But uh, But the middle section there, the 95% of it in the middle, was actually a pretty good kind of whodunit mystery, so The Last Alchemist pretty decent read
0: Alright, a little branching out from Seth there into uh,
2: still fiction, you know lest he read something
0: that actually happened in the world, um, but uh, that that's that's good, and um, and I have no segue, I'm sorry Miles, into spring cleaning Well, it's spring, well
1: Yeah, it is spring, right? Yeah, technically Spring was a couple of days ago, yeah I, I got into my garage today <clears throat>
0: you Americans may know it as a
1: garage. Yeah, yeah that. <laughs> um, oh, that was not a pleasant thing to do. Oh, we get a lot of dust here. But having said that, I I dug through stuff that I didn't remember seeing for years and years and years. And I found a brand new in-the-box scanner, uh, Xerox scanner, from 10 years ago <laughs> that I hadn't even taken out of the box. Um. And that led me down the journey to try to make it work with Linux, and that didn't end well. <laughs> Could so, you return it? <laughs> sure. Why <on> Amazon? <laughs>
2: uh, wherever you but try taking it to Walmart. There are two parts
0: about that story that are quintessentially American. One that you had a probably at the time five to six hundred dollar device. Uh, in your garage that you never opened. How American of you. And secondly, you moved to a desert and complained about the amount of dust. Uh, You are, Miles, you you may have been born an Australian, but you have become an American.
1: Oh, hand on heart. Yep. (laughs) That would be me.
0: All right. Uh, And that's it. Now we're going to talk about NAS. Uh, So the first question you might ask is, what is a NAS? NAS simply stands for Network Attached Storage. So we're going to get our propeller beanies on uh, today and and earn the geek in our geek Grant title. Um, And we've talked a little bit off and on about this sort of subject over the years. Uh, Guys, this next week, actually this week, I think, um, marks my 10-year anniversary no, eight-year anniversary as a podcaster. So uh, the first show was released uh, April 1st, 2010, uh, but I, we had actually recorded it a week or two earlier. So I have now been a podcaster for eight years, and we've been doing this show for about six years. So when I say we've talked about this in the past... <laughs> there's a pretty broad range of the past there. So uh, the faithful listeners may remember uh, these sort of discussions, but the new people may not. And so I have decided, uh, actually a few years ago, I decided to never let we talked about this before interfere with us talking about it again, because we have a, a perpetually new audience, I hope. And hopefully we can produce some evergreen content. Buzzwords, buzzword, buzzword. Um, so we're going to talk about network attached storage. What is a NAS? Well, it's storage attached to your network complicated um there's a all right see <laughs> y'all next week there's a couple <laughs> ways that uh that you can do that i mean the um the obvious big iron way to do it um is through uh this fancy thing called e uh which is a, a, a serial attached transport adapter SATA I don't remember but uh, it's something like that it basically over a gigabit ethernet port you can the gigabit is fast enough to simulate a direct connection to a computer so you can have your storage anywhere really I mean ideally on the same LAN because when you go out over the internet things slow down even if you have a great big connection Uh, but you can have your data anywhere and not be physically attached to your computer anymore so that's that came about in the last eight years or so. It's it's relatively new in technology, but in computer terms, eight years is a long time. So, uh, just network attached storage has been around for a while. It just recently became sort of affordable to the regular guys. And uh, you know, if you've got a, a a router that you know is a little more than the Blue Box D Link router. If you've got something that uh, you know has maybe six antennas sticking out of it and looks like an alien, you probably have a USB port on it. That USB port, you can plug a hard drive into it. Boom, NAS. By definition, you have storage attached to your network. So those are the the two sort of in house NASes, and the third one is cloud storage: Google Drive, Dropbox, um, Amazon S three, that are mapped to your local hard drive as if they were were local so for example on a on a linux drive uh on a linux computer it's pretty pretty easy to just map something so you've got your home partition you've got your um root partition you've got your uh uh, whatever partition and you've got your network storage partition and it functions the same it's going to be a little slower probably if you're out in the cloud um and then, honestly, I've never tried it in Windows, but I assume there's some utility like that where you can just map it to the, you know, the end drive for network, and you're you're attached to your Amazon S3 or your Google Cloud. So technically, that's that's NAS as well. Uh, you don't need the big iron anymore. You don't need seven. Uh, independent disks are uh, set up in a RAID six format. You can have that, and Miles, I think you do have that. We can talk a little bit about that. But you don't need it anymore. NAS has come home in such a way as you can just essentially make Dropbox. I mean, Dropbox in its simplest form is NAS because there's a folder on your desktop, and what you put there gets copied up to the cloud. It's not technically stored in the cloud; it's copied to the cloud. There's a there's a, a there's a fine line there, uh, but in the in the you know the dumbest sense you could call Dropbox a NAS. So there's my quick introduction. What do you guys have to say?
1: Well, go ahead, Miles. Um, I'll let you go first. Well, I was going to say it's interesting you bring Dropbox up because they had an IPO this week, and uh, so now they're going to be a public company or something. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm old school, so I like servers and hard drives and backups and. Heavy power-consuming devices of, and, that make lots of noises and stuff like that—that's me. And uh, I share that out to my network using a variety of protocols. And my f- set-top boxes and computers and everything else shares that storage. So I go the old school way. Uh, I know. How, what do you do, Seth?
2: You—I know, mean, I have—I don't really keep a lot of stuff on the network. I use cloud stuff, or I have a portable flash drive. But sometimes I will just um, I will UNC into um, a different computer and just access the files that way because and a very easy way today to make um, to make a NAS is just you have a computer that's on you know if you're in the Windows world you can all have the same work group name and then you can just create a file there and do map a drive to it and then boom you've got NAS because these days who doesn't i mean computers are so ridiculously cheap and we have people fall prey to the oh my gosh i need more when actuality 95 percent of the population doesn't need half the computer they use um, so you can have an old computer be your network attached storage it could be connected via wi-fi or be a uh, copper and so you know, that's another easy doable. You don't need to be a techie to create a network attached storage.
0: Yeah. And so what you just described there, the pedant net is out there. They're saying that's a server, Seth. That's a computer with an operating system serving part of its hard drive. Well, yeah, that's what all NASAs are. Computers have just gotten so small now that you can create a single-purpose computer and put it on a chip the size of a postage stamp and attach it to the hard drive and call it a NAS. That's all a NAS is. It's a single-purpose computer. Um, It's essentially a server. Uh, It just doesn't have to be running a full-blown OS.
2: Yeah, every NAS has some type of, okay, granted, you know, It probably doesn't have windows. It's running some stripped down, customized version of Linux that gives you just enough operating system to be able to pull and recognize an IP address and recognize credentials and, you know, share itself out to the web. So all really NAS, you can't really have NAS apart from a server world. You might not call it a server but it's a server. right?
0: And so people out there, particularly the Linux tinkerers, like to take these old beige box PCs that we have laying around, these Pentium 150 megahertz machines that are still laying around, and, and repurpose those. And that's certainly a nice project and something you can do. But that power supply in an off state uses more power than would a NAS system. Uh, at at full, I mean, they're just they just weren't built for efficiency back then. Uh, a, a, you could run fifteen Raspberry Pis for the same as that switching power supply turned off, not even turned on. They they're they're consuming power when they're in an off state. So uh, it's it is uh, you know it's green. It's it's for the planet to uh, to consider buying some new stuff. Plus, it's fun. It's for the children.
1: It is. It's for the children. It's actually for my wallet. No, this is a really sensitive topic with me right now because we're actually prepping our – well, half of our roof for solar right now. And, you know, living in Arizona, you do that, right? I mean, duh. But anyway, uh, the amount of solar that a solar panel can generate is um, obviously less than the house. So I'm going to have a deficit. I'm going to pay for power and my wife and I sat down this morning and we and we sort of thought, what exactly can we do to reduce our power requirements for sizing the solar array? And one of the biggest contributors are all these stupid computers I are lying around in my office that um, all take power. So I took my NAS out to my workbench and plugged it on a kilowatt meter and it's got mm. I guess it's got about six, eight terabyte hard drives in it, something like that. And uh, check the drawer on the thing. And I'm, I'm pulling nearly 450 watts. And I'm looking at right. going, what? I could be, you know, I could be mining like like two GPUs running, Ethereum mining right there. But actually what it is is about $40 a month of power cost. So, yeah, it, it makes having a NAS quite, quite a, a liability.
0: That's a good point. And all those computers behind you there. Um you add all that up, that's going to be pretty big Shh. too. His
1: <laughs> wife might hear. Yeah, the, the older the the more likely, especially right. those old CRT's, they're pulling some serious wattage here. Yeah, but so, you're an American. It's yeah, fine. what do you do?
0: <laughs> so uh anyway, so that's that's a uh, what, what that's the mechanics of what a NAS is. And, uh, you know, as Miles talked about, he's got his uh, multi-terabyte uh, array. Uh, and, you know, you, you pay a premium for that in a lot of ways. You're paying for the power. You're also paying for your expertise. You paid a big chunk of money for the for the uh, hard, hardware to put that in there. It could be a whole lot cheaper if you farm that out to the cloud. Yeah. Um, maybe in the short run i don't know over the long term you may break even but it's definitely not a net loss to move things out to the cloud and so my thinking is um in this world of google fiber and google drive and 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 things like that has is there any reason for local nas anymore um i know people the first thing you're going to say is privacy security Uh, you know these things are secure Dropbox being the exception, but there are ways to make Dropbox secure. It's easy to encrypt your files before you send it up there. Uh, but Google is is very secure, and they're, they have proven over time that even they can't get to your stuff. Um, it's it's encrypted in such a way that it is, you know, quote-unquote, industry standard. So you're as secure as, as it, it will ever be living outside your network. But if you've got a NAS and it's inside your network and people can get into it from outside, there's kind of no difference there. So I, I kind of think... That uh, you know, like I have gigabit internet to my home. It's not really gigabit, gigabit, but that's what they call it. You up have to up two gigabit, gigabit, Mark. Right. Yeah, I mean, up let's to, face it. You
2: have up to petabit. Let's just be real.
0: Yeah. and you know, I, I I feel like I'm crying about the the supermodel with with one hairy toenail. Um, I have uh, uh, on a on an average day, I get about six hundred megs down. Boo hoo, poor me. But um, and I get about 800-900 up. So. I could easily operate an S3 cloud um, and and have that function because the hard drive in my the 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 linkage the the network cable from the processor to my hard drive isn't gigabit, so uh, that that runs at about three hundred megabits on most systems. Um, so I literally have faster access to my files on the internet than to the files on my hard drive. With that being the case, and with that being the current state, it's only going to get better. Is there any reason to have nas anymore data caps that's a thing I don't have any, but that doesn't Yet. mean that I won't yeah,
1: next right. year I'm a digital prepper that's why I, I you absolutely have your yeah. own
0: <laughs> the same reason that you probably have a, a fifty gallon drum of of potable water is is yeah I do yeah is the same reason <laughs> that you have your own local
1: nas yeah, I'm the tin Hat computer guy. <laughs> Yeah, because you know,
2: here's the thing: if, if you have your NAS, then it's then it's your responsibility and it's your expertise to make sure that it's up. You know if. If you have your stuff stored somewhere else, then not only do you have to be responsible for your in-home network, where it's stored has to be responsible for their in-home network, and then you've got several other companies that are responsible to get it from one network to the other. So you have increased points of failure along the way.
0: But to use exactly your same argument, when I put something up on Google, I'm trusting a team of engineers with far more years of experience, and frankly, a lot smarter than I am, to safeguard my data they're going to be better prepared to do that's what they do they are a team of of server storage people that work for google for crying out loud their entire livelihood depends on 99.99999 percent uptime and safeguarding my files is just one very small part uh drop in their giant bucket of maintaining google's data infrastructure so I, i their data my data is in much safer hands
1: when i give it to google seems i heard mark zuckerberg say that about facebook a couple of weeks ago that didn't end well. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, you know, well, I wasn't really talking about, but I'm just talking about you're being able to access it on demand. You've added many, many more points of failure to me saying, okay, I want to watch my wedding video now, or, you know, my spouse wants to watch the wedding video now. So I don't sleep on the couch. And then all of a sudden, guess what got, you know, comcast is having a, a data outage Well, you say i don't have comcast but the link between at&t and google uses comcast and so you had no idea but now your stuff's down so i'm i'm not you know and granted very slight but it's just that's one of the things if you want to be able to access your stuff when you want it then when it's outside your control it's outside your control
0: just a, a good example of that this was many years ago um 10 at least years ago probably closer to 15 um i hosted my employer at the school i worked i hosted all our own websites our own data that sort of thing and i outsourced the dns of course we ran our own dns uh in house but the the primary thing was hosted uh at three different uh, data centers uh all housing at geographically separate there was east coast there was west coast and there was uh northern uh, uh, i think it was close to canada montana my, it was in the country but it was up in that area And in complete freak coincidences, all three legs of that went down at the same time on the same day. And through no fault of my own, our site was completely inaccessible and we were unable to access our own files that were stored on our own network because the DNS was routed out to these three independent legs of the internet that all went down. So the odds of that, I would have had better odds of getting struck by lightning twice on my way to pick up my winning lottery ticket. Than to have that happen, and yet it did happen. So, yeah. point conceded. But my gosh, you got to consider the odds at some point.
2: Yeah, no, I'm. I I totally agree. It is in all likelihood, it's not going to happen. But you know. So, what does a resident prepper there. have to say about that?
1: Well, I'm a digital hoarder too. So, when you're a digital hoarder and you're, uh, you know, a, a digital prepper. Well, you know, what are you going to do? You're not going to give Google 48 terabytes of stuff and say, "Here, I trust you. Don't be evil. Off you go." No, no, no. That's that's why wave goodbye to your files right there. And see,
0: my faith no, my, is not in Google.
1: No, I, I got to keep it with me, man.
0: My faith is not in Google. My faith is in greed. Capitalism is what's going to protect my data, not Google. The reputation.
1: I am anything.
0: No, but their entire business model relies on safeguarding data. Google is good at data. Right. And when people don't believe that anymore, their,
1: their business is hurt. Whether I it's Google was good at advertising. Well, I that but was they're advertising,
0: they, they advertise that they're good at data. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, you, you bring up a good point, uh, Miles and Seth. Actually, you both sort of stepped into this. Um, you talk about access to your data. Um, what, is, what is my data anymore? So the wedding video is a good example. There, there are one or two unique versions of that. You know, probably uh, the, the videographer who recorded it might still have a copy, might not. Um, I have a copy on uh, VHS tape somewhere, and then I have the digital copy. So there, let's say there's three copies of that in the world. That is safely considered my data. But, you know, my movie collection, for example, how many copies of Thor The Dark World exist out there? Mine is just one of them. And so is that really my data at that point? In fact, uh, I think it was Dropbox. It was some company recently uh, was saying that we will take if you've got something out there like that, we'll just sort of um uh, check some it, and if it matches what we've already got stored, we won't use your your bandwidth cap, your storage cap. We'll just call that freebie because we've already got a copy of it. Um, I think that company went out of business, actually. It wasn't Dropbox. It was one of the, like, Box.net or one of those those guys. But that was their that was their idea. The, they recognized that there's so much redundant data in the world that we'll just cache one or two copies of the redundant data. And they just put a bookmark that says, oh, yeah, Mark has this, too. And, and I think for most people, most of their data isn't really their data. Most of their data is copies of some other people's data. Movies, music, books, examples
2: yeah no i mean i totally agree i you know i have LibreOffice office on my computer um i have word on my uh, windows tablet you know i have all these things and yet where do i do most of my writing for you know like if i'm preaching a sermon or outlines for a teaching class uh, it's it's in google's you know it's in it's in google docs right. so i mean it's that's technically my data because i am creating it but yet I have literally one copy of it and it's on Google Docs. I don't have three copies in two different locations. I have one. Now, of course, Google, Google should have their stuff, you know, redundantly and triplicate in, you know, different worlds, time zones, and, you know, phases of the universe. So, um, I, and it's probably secure. You forgot different I mean,
0: states of matter. They have, have a yeah. solid liquid and gas version as well.
2: Probably. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't have access to it. So if I am somewhere and I don't have network connection, I can't access my data.
1: I'm in a lucky state because I I can leverage off our business investments and our data centers and our servers and so on for my own personal use. It's kind of like a, it's like a perk I get with the business I'm in. Um, And I guess if I was to pay for all of that myself, it would be over the top expensive, but I, I have never paid a third party to store data on their network. I don't, I can't remember. That's because third parties pay you to store data. You,
0: you are as biased a sample as we could possibly find.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm, I know. I realize I don't represent the norm, but I, I just, I'm such a cheapskate when it comes to this stuff that I just don't want to spend money with Dropbox or Apple iCloud or whoever. Um, and it's just just because I don't need to. I I can avoid that whole thing. Having said that, I've had situations where I've been on the other side of the planet in a trying to get a, a document and a government front teller thing and I had to get it on my phone. And I was able to get it off my network over over that environment. Whereas I guess I probably could have got it on a third party, but I don't know. I just there's just some part of it that makes me feel more safe and comfortable when i've got my data close at hand and i I just don't want to give it up
0: so now millennials i appeal to you if you're 21 years old uh, let's let's say 25 years old you're out of college you're out in the world you're you you've got your your first big boy job uh and maybe a wife and maybe a smaller version of you running around tripping over things what do you consider your data i i would bet that we you know, we're forty-five-year-old fogies at this point. I would bet that we are so out of touch with the the upcoming generation of people that, uh, like my, my daughters, for example, my oldest is fifteen. She doesn't have any concept of where things live. It's just, it's just on my phone. It's, it's my thing, you know, and when I get a new phone, I log in and boom, it's all there. It doesn't matter to her where anything is. And I think that, that that we didn't grow up digitally native. Like I can remember the first time I saw a microwave. That is not something that a 25 year old can say. They have just always grown up with it. And then that's a, a nine year old, 10 year old can't say the first time they saw a smartphone. They just, they just don't. It's it's always been an embedded part of their life. They probably were entertained by a tablet when they were you know a year or less old. And so it's just part of their life, and I bet they don't even consider where stuff is anymore. So the concept of a NAS, the concept of putting my stuff anywhere, well, isn't that all in the cloud? Whatever the cloud is, isn't that all
2: there? Uh, I, I think we're the last
0: generation who's going to care one bit about where anything lives.
2: Well, I don't know when Apple decides to cut the ties with Google and you log into iTunes and you know and your Google all your Google apps are missing then people will probably start caring again
0: I don't know Apple users probably not oh well you know the mighty Apple decided I didn't need it anymore I guess it was bad for me
1: you bring up a good point though I think we're going to see a generation who do not if you were to put an internal hard drive in front of them and say what's that they go I don't know the metal box. I don't know what it is. I, I think you're right. I don't think that the, the anatomy of the technologies which we probably embrace and, have you know, it's become part of our DNA, I think that stuff is going away gradually. I think that, you know, maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, um, the concept of a car will be different. The concept of computer and storage will be different. There'll be so many assumptions of things because of simplicity and easy availability but even with that, I still have to have. For me, it's a huge leap of faith, one that I can't cannot make to trust a third party with stuff that is mission critical to me.
0: It's, uh, uh, I I agree with you. I I am hung up on the concept of ownership. Um, when I buy a digital download of a song, B- B- Google Play Store, Amazon, wherever, I burn it to a CD, then rip that CD to MP3s and store it on my server. Because then I own that. Um, it doesn't matter that Amazon promises it'll always be available to me. That's how I do it. When I, when I buy a DVD or, or, or uh, a movie, you know, like if I, if I buy a movie on Google Play, I also look for that CD uh, or that DVD probably years later when it's in the bargain bin. I'm always going through those bargain bins at Walmart looking for movies that I already own so that I can rip them and make my own copy of them. Uh, because that, that again, it makes me feel comfortable and warm and fuzzy to know that it's all on that, uh, drive that lives in my living room, except that that drive in my living room crashed a couple of years ago and I lost it all. Had I had had it up in Google, I would still have that data. Instead, I had to go back and painstakingly re-rip all 400 plus of my DVDs over the course of several weeks, which I did because I'm hung up on ownership, but I really shouldn't have cared because most of that stuff already exists on Netflix or on Google. I, it would have been, uh, call it $200 to rebuy all of that stuff on Amazon or Google Play or whatever because most of it's old. You know, we're talking Breakfast Club. This is old stuff that I could probably pick up for two bucks. But instead of spending that couple hundred dollars, I spent two months of my life painstakingly re ripping DVDs because I'm hung up on ownership.
2: But, you know, the problem is. What's on Amazon Prime or Netflix today isn't what's on Amazon or Netflix next month. True. Because I had movies in Amazon Prime that, you know, I want to watch this next one. I want to watch this. And so I go there and it's like I see the stuff I've tagged for watch later, except now it's no longer free for Amazon Prime. Now I have to pay To watch it, so it's still there, but it's not free for Prime, you know. So something that was I was already paying for. Now, the the data stored on the cloud is the same, but now it costs me extra to access it. You know, I was or when I had Netflix, I went to watch something, and February twenty eighth became March first, and the rest of the series was gone, and I was just like, ah, you know. And so just because, whereas if I had it. I would know that I have it and you know, it, it would still be there in, it just wouldn't, they just wouldn't have lost some licensing deal and I missed out on seeing something I wanted. So
1: we're going to see this change though. I mean, I think with IPFS is is going to be a thing and it's going to be something that will significantly change the, the landscape when it comes to digital storage Where everybody is going to be part of some sort of world hard drive, and we can put our stuff out there and know that it's safe because it's spread on a million different nodes across a network. So no one node is going to create, uh, is going to control it. So I think it's going to change for the better, and I don't think it's going to have a huge cost. But But,
0: see, that's scary for content creators. Sorry? Uh, That's scary for content creators like uh, let's yeah. let's take some some uh, something that the uh, uh, f- the fans are rabid about the beatles right the beatles white album people who love the beatles have bought the white album 7 times you know they bought the album then they bought the cassette, uh, the eight track. Then they bought the cassette. Then they bought the CD. Then they bought the MP3. Then they bought the high res MP3. Then they they you know they they bought the Google uh, the the iPhone uh, iCloud version of it whatever. So they have just bought this album over and over again. And if you're the Beatles or. CBS is that whoever owns the Beatles I don't even know that's a good thing and so something like the interplanetary file system that's just stupid call it internet protocol file system that's what it really is Uh, the the, something like IPFS scares these people to death because they won't be
1: able to own it anymore and anybody else can grab it too if you want to give somebody an address to it yeah and so
0: somebody I just use the phrase like four times I'm hung up on ownership Maybe that's partly because I'm a content creator. Uh, I understand this from a content creator's standpoint. You know, piracy is always an issue. But you would, you know, uh, the MPAA is, you know, rapidly trying to sue their own fans out of existence. Uh, at least there's a single point of this stuff being held out there. You know, even in torrents, you could track the, the, the locations. But the IPV, IPFS and, and new technologies like that are making that anonymous, untraceable, and ephemeral uh, and any one node can go down without significantly affecting the system, so it's it's both going to be democratizing and frightening, depending I on who I, you are.
1: yeah, I think our culture's changed a lot though, particularly in the maybe the last ten years. I mean, how many artists these days, other than big artists like you know Taylor Swift and people like that, most artists below that that tier they're not making any money off recording their album and selling their music on iTunes or because everyone doesn't go to iTunes and buy it anymore. They go to Spotify and they listen to it and they stream it. And at the end of the day, the the artist gets nothing really. I mean, hardly anything at all. Um, the artists nowadays, the new emerging artists are coming out and they are embracing Creative Commons and they're embracing, you know, creating an audience by giving away their, their material and then hoping to reap the rewards of that using – you know, live concerts and merchandising and everything else.
0: And that's why Uh, when I was a kid, it cost $20 to go to a concert. And now it costs $120 to go to a concert. They've recognized that's where the money is.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. But um, at the end of the day, it still means that the musician or the, you know, independent movie creator or whatever, they're not getting anything because big corporate uh, legal money grab is taking everything before they can get to it. So, They want to be able to get to their fans. They want to be able to build a community, and they're not doing it using existing uh, methods. So creating something for storage for long-term, if they have to give it out for free, they're going to YouTube, right? Right. They're giving it out on YouTube for free, and that's because that's where they can build their audience, and that's what I think the next generation is going to need. And so therefore, long-term storage, it's probably going to be a personal thing.
0: Yeah, you miles and I both have some experience with the recording industry and we know that the the tr- stranglehold has always been distribution. The the production company says we have distribution. Um, if you want to be heard, if you want uh, your stuff to be released worldwide, you have to sign a punitive deal with us. And that's why every band that makes it big immediately tries to break the contract uh, before they release a second album, because that first con- that first album six hundred million dollars was made on it. They made none of that. Uh, in fact, I have heard of artists ending their tour in debt to the studio because their tour costs exceeded their royalties on the album. That distribution method is that that's the fist that has been held tight and now it's gone. It's crumbling and YouTube, you know, uh, and, and the D tube and the new things like that are going to make distribution so democratized that the gatekeepers aren't going to have a gate to keep anymore.
1: Right. And so I think ultimately to pull this back to NAS or storage, um, this is where I do have a great deal of faith in IPFS because I think at the end of the day, it's a permanent record. It's, it's uh it's got a blockchain, it's in the cloud and it's stored on everybody's computer who participates in the network. Um, and it's not in in like BitTorrent. You can identify the IP address of who's sharing something or who's downloading it. In this case, you, you can't, it's just bits of it spread everywhere and no one knows who's got what and it's a far different model, and I think at the end of the day, this is going to become the future of NAS.
0: We need to do a show about IPFS, but it's so infantile right now. I, I have kind of held off on that, but we probably need to do that in this calendar year. Okay. So take that as homework. All <laughs> right, Seth, we got about two minutes left in this segment. What What are your final thoughts?
2: You know, I just... um. Intellectually, I'm all for the concept of a NAS, but I just I don't have really any data to worry about keeping. <laughs> and so, most
0: people don't.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, photos are. I mean, they're embedded in Facebook, and so we all know that you know Facebook is um, the pillar of altruism, and they're all about my best interests. Same thing with Google, and they're on my phone, and so it's not that I don't have stuff. It's that. I, you know, theoretically, I care, but when you get right down to it, I simply don't care. Uh, my uh, My portable hard drive, I hardly ever use anymore, um, but I still have it. So, yay! I don't and know. You're not yeah, the, you're not unusual in that. Most people don't have any data.
0: Most yeah. people aren't generators of data. Most people are consumers of data only, and so it doesn't matter where the data is, as long as they can consume it. Yep. Uh, you know, there's just not a lot of creators in the world. In my case, I'm a content creator at my work, but I don't own any of that. Everything I create by my by contract belongs to them. I don't care where it's stored. My personal stuff, uh, you know, this show, for example, um, I, I do care about that. But most people aren't creators. We we have lost that creator thread. Uh, for about a generation. I'm hoping the maker thread is going to pick that up, but I don't know that it will.
2: Yeah, and I use Google Cloud for my for my stuff that I create. It's it's saved in documents in Google Drive. So, yeah.
0: so I have a, a couple of a single terabyte drives or one and two terabyte drives. I've got a couple of drives laying around my house that are plugged in and are technically NAS. The rest of it, I keep on Dropbox and Google Drive. And, you know, as... Uh, as, as much as I just went into that whole thing about I'm hung up on ownership, most of my stuff lives somewhere else. The stuff I care most about, I keep close to me. But even that, I usually back up to the cloud because I trust the cloud more than I trust my living room. Miles trusts the living room more than anything else.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'll just It's interesting when you were talking about that, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, I mean, I don't want to be stuck on a single position and not willing to negotiate off it i'm trying to work out from a cost standpoint what is the cost of storing stuff on hard drives in your own home the cost of power to run the enclosures or computers that control it and then the risk factor of what is the 8% failure rate that hard drives have and the cost of replacing it i mean there you know it's it is significant i guess when you add it all up it's probably maybe over over three or four or five years, you spend five hundred bucks, maybe a thousand bucks or something on this. You divide that down per month. It probably makes Dropbox quite a economical option right um, I don't know
0: it all comes down to you know control well, that's really what it's about. How much are you willing to pay to control your own data?
1: Yeah
2: so now, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. I to let everybody know that on this week in history, March the 22nd, 1960, freaking laser beams are patented. So the first patent on a laser is issued to author Leonard, I can't even pronounce his last name, Shaklaw, maybe, and Charles Hardtowns, who assigned it who assigned it to Bell Telephone Laboratories. But to this day, still no one has figured out how to attach these bad boys to the heads of sharks. So, you know, but anyway, that happened this week in history. And now back to you, Mark.
0: And uh, cats everywhere have been tormented for years as a result of it.
2: <laughs> and, and that's from Austin Powers, just for people yeah. who didn't get the reference.
1: I like, want to see a laser cannon at some yeah. point used in in aggression, you know.
0: <laughs> Light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation laser. I, I learned that when I was a kid, and so I'm saying that now. And they've, they have yet to be weaponized because they're freaking dangerous when they get that big. But yes, they will destroy your target, but they'll destroy everything between you and your target, uh, good or bad. And if you're not careful, destroy you too. I did see a guy on YouTube who put like 15 consumer-grade lasers behind a magnifying glass and created this freaking huge laser and it's like warnings all over youtube i am stupid do not try this at home he like melted a hole in his garage door with this thing don't do this people leave it to the professionals lasers are nothing to be messed with rail guns on the other hand build those at at will that's right (laughs) uh all right now seth what do you have to lower my productivity that's making you seem like a better hiring option
2: well this will work really good on windows systems um this is but it's just a cheap easy fast game so you uh start the game and you have to avoid the circles bigger than you and you know go over the circles smaller than you and the more circles you eat the bigger you get and it is it's nothing but a time waster no no great thing but so and anyway. that's oh, what we pay this for. this is hard it is oh you yeah you did <laughs> I think 64 is the highest I've gotten. Um it took me a while to understand what it means. But anyway, so just avoid the big circles. Uh, eat the circle smaller than you by controlling the circle with your mouse and moving it around the screen. Um,
0: I've played lots of similar games like this, and they are crazy addictive um, after a while. There was one, I can't remember the name of it, but you're like this single-celled uh, creature that, again, you have to eat other creatures, and then like you go deeper down into the what we'll call it the ocean as you go, and the things get bigger there. And eventually, you're giant. And when you win, when you beat the boss, you explode up into a single celled creature again, and you start all over. Uh, but it's uh, it's I think it's called Flow in Games, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, same sort of thing, but it was just really uh, I like the, this one when you lose, it says, You dead, <laughs> <laughs> yep that's funny you did of course you if you make a misjudgment about whether you're bigger than the other guy that's the real problem because oh i thought i had him nope he was just a little bit bigger than me
2: and it it took me a while to realize that whenever you consume a circle you you grow and so you know whenever you do the little circles you grow by so small you don't realize it but then you get to be bigger circles and it gets harder to avoid stuff
0: If you're not watching the video right now, you're missing out because nobody's making eye contact with the camera. We're all playing this game as we talk.
1: (laughs) I just want some laser beams on this thing.
0: Just some freaking lasers. Throw me a bone here. (laughs) So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can comment to us, feedback to us, let her know what you, let us know what you have to say. You can do that by going to elementop.com slash elementop.com. Click the contact us button at the top of the page. Um, Uh, Fill out the world's hardest CAPTCHA, uh, answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA, rather. Fill out the form uh, there and click submit. That will go to my in basket, uh, and I will get uh, a, uh, um, what's the word, priority there. I I just can't think and type uh, talk at the same time. Um, You can also dial 559-IMOP, leave us a voicemail. Haven't had one of those in a while. Or we can send an email to geekrant at com. That goes to all three of us, lest you think I am filtering you uh, your right to free speech so that you can say whatever you want to to these other guys. I am. I am filtering that. Um, so, 82 points. Woo-hoo. <laughs> all right, Seth. We know what he was doing with his time there. So let us know what you think. Um, tell us what we're doing well, what we're doing badly. Uh, I am interested in hearing millennials talk, uh, take on what we were talking about. Let's face it, guys. We're all sort of out of touch here. Um, we are, you know, we're admittedly geeks. By definition, we're sort of out of the mainstream, and we're we're aging geeks. You know, there's de- definitely some gray in the beards uh, here. So uh, I, I need my audience to to you know tell me what's hep with the with the young kids these days. What what's that hep jive? Uh, that's that's real kid talk, right? Um, <laughs> let us know. You got it, Daddy O. Word to your mother. Um, uh, Because I'm screet like that, yo. Um, Just let us know what you think because it's important that we uh, sort of stay in touch. If nothing else, I want to be able to ridicule the snowflakes. Um, No, I I didn't. I didn't. Sorry, that was inside voice. I didn't mean to say that out loud. Um, let let us know what you think about the show also uh we covet your support there are a couple of ways that you could do that obviously you can tell your friends about us preferably the people you like tell them that you like the show uh don't tell people you hate that you hate the show so that you wish they would go spend an, uh, an hour and waste their life don't do that uh what i would say is if you like the show tell everybody you know if you don't like the show tell me and and maybe i'll fix it um so uh that's the best thing you could do to support us is tell other people about it uh the second most important thing you can do about it and these are in order is you can leave us a review and a rating on whatever podcast delivery system you prefer itunes is still the standard whether we like it or not uh but you know uh, last fm uh Get your radio, stitch your radio. I don't even know what. There's so many of them out there. However you get this podcast, unless, of course, you go to my website and click the play button, and then in which case, leaving a review there doesn't help much. Uh, but leave us a rating and a review. That is certainly beneficial. And then the third, and I, I do put this in in that order, is give us money. Money is always a good thing. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash That's my favorite because I now have to produce content before I get paid. If you use the tip jar on the website, that's awesome. Uh, if you do a recurring thing there, I get that every month without fail, no matter what. I certainly appreciate that. But the thing I like most about Patreon is it's a pay for place situation. If I don't produce content, I don't get money. So that seems to be, uh, the thing that works out the best either way. And the, the rake is about the same. They take about the same as what PayPal takes. So if you could do that, com slash Patreon is the way to do it. Now, gentlemen, any final words of wisdom before we say goodnight? crickets and that's why they're the best in the business <laughs> ladies and gentlemen always ready with a quick word and and a heartfelt bit of wisdom uh thank you listener for hanging out with us thank you miles seth for being the best i could afford on what i pay you and i look forward to talking to you next week because that's it for this episode of the geek Grant.